Today I will be reading from James chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, 6. I invite you to listen to the word. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches are rotted, have rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and your rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure during the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have nourished your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Will you pray with me? Loving God, sometimes we encounter your words in this text. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes challenges, sometimes it invites. So God, I pray that you would meet each of us this morning, whatever it is that we need to hear, that through and in the midst of it all, we would be encouraged and reminded that you are the God of love, a God who calls and beckons to each of us. Might we be encountered this morning anew by your spirit and by that love, that we might be changed to more deeply be people who are known by the love of Christ. In your name, amen. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all, and it's good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, If you haven't been with us, or if you've been with us but you need a little reminder, we've been going through the book of James this summer and exploring different themes related to faith and how the book of James connects with our lives. Now, Folks who've encountered the book of James, including preachers, have different feelings about the book of James that we've talked about. We talked about how going way back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther who lived back in the 1500s, he thought that the book of James should not be included in the Bible. So whatever heretical thoughts you've supposedly had about your faith, just know Martin Luther probably is beating you, right? All the jokes are funny in my head, right? Um, That's when you can tell you're super nerdy and weird, right? Anyway, so glad that uh, you're not like uh, Martin Luther. You're your own person. And as you encounter this text, though, you may have had some feelings about it. Because sometimes this text has been utilized as sort of a bully pulpit in people's lives. Like, hey, if you don't check all these boxes, there's a door, you're out. You're not, you're not properly the right kind of Christian person. Or maybe sometimes you've read this text and it's elicited shame or feelings of disorientation or like maybe even you heard the text today and it's like, is that me? 
maybe it's the person next to me, because this is a little uncomfortable, and I'm not totally sure what to do with it. And James is kind of like that. He's a little bit strident, a little bit not particularly soft. Like, this isn't 1 John, right? It's not, beloved, let us love, and let us love some more, and let us love some more. James is like, faith without works is dead. You're hoarding your money. You're being a terrible Christian. You're not following Christ correctly. By the way, do better. Right? So, depending upon how you grew up, what background you come from, you might hear the words of James, and it might feel not like very good news. (laughs) It might feel like a shaming parent that you might have had, right? Who you could never measure up. You were never enough. You might hear the words of James, and the shame is more about things that throughout your life you, you wished you were better at, or you're not sure if you're showing up right. As I myself have re-encountered James, I've been challenged to rethink some of how I have historically thought of this text. Because for me, I encountered this text a lot more through the lens of how sometimes in church we can be really good and judgy, right? Like, this is how you do Christianity. If you don't do Christianity the way I do Christianity, we all know you aren't a Christian, right? And so to come back to the book of James for me and to ask the question of how do I hear grace in this? Where is God's love in it? And how, as James himself pens, is this a text about living a faith that's not about works, but a life that flows out of what's actually going on inside of us, right? Don't tell me about your faith. Show me your faith by what you do. That could be like the motto of James. I don't care what you tell me. I want to see how you live. Because as we're transformed within, we live differently. At least James believes that. And so, as we come to this text today, I wonder how it can shift a little bit if instead of reading or hearing James as a new set of laws or checkmark boxes of who's in and who's out and what's bad and good and in a way that's about judgment, we can hear James as a book of wisdom. As a book that's kind of a way to recenter ourselves on what matters. And to help us clear through some of the stuff where we get stuck and we lose sight of different aspects of the challenge and the call of our faith. Now, interestingly, Martin Luther, the person who I referenced who wasn't in love with this text, was really influential in helping the Christian church to think about a concept called law and gospel. It's a sense that the cross and Christ both convicts us and shows where we've missed the mark, where we're failing to be loving humans to one another, where we're failing to walk the way of of Christ, And also the gospel, the good news is, yep, you always mess up, but guess what? Love is here for you. Grace is for you. Grace finds you in the midst of that. And this concept for Luther is that we need to hold these together. Because if we have too much law, too much, oh, I know what is wrong with you, then you just feel like garbage and it's not particularly helpful and you're not a particularly nice kind of Christian, 
But on the other hand, if it's all gospel, if it's all grace, 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 lovey, 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 well, modern psychology calls that form of spirituality often spiritual bypassing. It's where we use our faith to not have to feel any of the more challenging emotions, to not ever have to be confronted when we have fallen short. And so while for James, grace is at the center, God's love is at the heart of everything, sometimes you need to be reminded when you've forgotten, when you've messed up. About a year and a half ago, I preached a sermon. It was in the alternative service, and I was trying to kind of like wittily help people to think about this concept by employing some of the work from the Gottman Institute. That's a relational um, research group out of Washington University, or University of Washington. And it was talking about how in relationships, people make bids, they call it in the Gottman Institute. Bids are desires for recognition. So say you are at home, and you are married to someone. And you come out of the room and you're like, honey, what do you think of my dress? Which I actually did this morning. <laughs> I was like, hey, babe, because Andy hadn't said anything yet. And I like my dress. <laughs> and I wanted Andy to like it too, because I want Andy to like me. Right? So a bid is that ask for recognition. You come out, you say, hey, what do you think of my dress? Right? And then in order for there to be a relational connection, the person needs to respond with at least, oh, you know, if they totally ignore you, that doesn't go over so well, right? Right? That doesn't go over so well. It also doesn't work out super well if they just say, oh. That's like the word interesting in Minnesota, okay? Right? You want to hear something like, oh, that looks lovely, or oh, you look really nice, or well, it's not my favorite, but you're lovely. You know, those sorts of things. So I was talking similarly in this vein. And I said a comment about something that some of us ask each other sometimes, which is about our body size and how it looks in a particular outfit. And I was just talking and, you know, doing my thing. And I got a note that week from a person who was visiting our church online. I was supposed to do coffee with them. And they said that they didn't want to do coffee with me anymore. And I was like, oh, oh no. And they said, you know, I am an area that I've really struggled with and try to be really healthy around is bodies and fat shaming and things like that. And I, what you said really triggered that for me and how you said it. And I was just mortified, right? I had caused harm in this person by a kind of offhanded comment I was making that I thought was kind of witty and, you know, and I'm like super pro bodies of all shapes and sizes. And I, you know, I was like, <gasps> you know, so I, I hadn't meant to, but I had caused harm. And likewise, the reminder of law and gospel is whether intentional or not, we cause harm. And love doesn't just say, oh, I'm never going to bring up anything hard, or I'm never going to tell you I was hurt. The gospel, love, grace, actually also says at points, no, this wasn't okay. 
You're still loved. We still are in relationship. But it's important to hold those together. The book of James, again, likewise, as a book of law and gospel, a book of wisdom, I think is a really important word about sometimes when we forget. And it challenges and reminds us to get re-centered on what matters. In the text that was read for us today from chapter 4 into chapter 5, it starts off talking about what happens when sometimes we'll say, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to open this business, and I'm going to get rich. And James says, hey, like, who are you? Do you are you God? Do you know everything that's going to happen? Now, I remember sometimes I've heard this passage preached like, you should never strategically plan, that's evil. And I was like, wow, I kind of like planning for the future. You know, I kind of like knowing even what my calendar is going to be doing tomorrow sort of thing. And I was like, I remember feeling like maybe I'm not particularly spiritual. And I come back to this text and I think, okay, if this is a book of wisdom, not just a new law, right? It's not just a don't plan and you're evil, but it's trying to invite us into a way of remembering what matters. What might this be about? Well, for the James, the clear thing that pulsates through this book is that God is God, that the whole world is God's, that every person is made by God, and that when we forget that, we do harmful things and we need to remember. Okay. So what if this is actually a challenge to those spaces where we begin to clutch for power and control and we say, I know, I'm going to do this and that and then I'm going to take over this and then I have this and we have this sort of sense we don't need God. We have everything in control and plan and James comes in and says, no, you don't. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Come on, people. Remember, God is the one you don't know what's going to happen. You're no more than a vapor. You appear briefly and then disappear. Okay? This isn't to say you're nothing. It's not to say that we can't plan. It's to remember that love and grace holds us because when you live from that place, that remembrance that God holds you, it changes how we can live with our hands open in the world. He continues, to the rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. Your wealth is all rotting, your clothes are eaten up by moths, your gold and your silver are corroding, and that's your sentence. That's what you've stored up for yourself in the last days. Laborers who mowed your fields, you've cheated them. Listen, they're crying out against you and they've reached the ears of the God Most High. This is, again, I think, one of those moments where sometimes we get so formed by norms in our world, by things around what it means to be human. And the book of James is challenging us. Where are our lives unjust? Where have we lost sight of what matters? Where have we forgotten that every single person is made in the image of God? Where have we forgotten that money and anything we have isn't ours and isn't just for us? That's the law part, right? We don't just get to do whatever we want and not care. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. 
To follow Jesus is about radically reorienting our lives again and again to keep remembering love. That the God who is at the center of all things calls us to live with our hands open. To be just in the way we relate to one another. That whether you are a laborer or a business executive, we're equally children of God. And God sees and cares for each of us. So here in the book of James is an invitation to us to remember what matters. To let ourselves be held in a love that loves us enough to remind, that it reminds and challenges us to live love, to be a people of faith who are shaped by the wisdom that is not of this world, but the wisdom of the God of all of creation. This is a lifelong journey, and it's one that we all do imperfectly. Every single moment and every single day of my life, I am not God. I don't love perfectly. My life contributes to injustice. But just because we haven't fully taken hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us, to quote some scripture, that doesn't mean we just say whatever. Because wisdom literature reminds us to keep leaning in and to keep on the journey of faith. To keep letting that love of Christ melt our hearts and our bodies and our beings so that we can live out what matters. And I hope that the book of James can be an invitation and a reminder to us to love to let ourselves be loved and to live that as people of faith. As the beginning of the book of James reminds us that if any of us lack wisdom, to ask God for it and it will be generously given to us. So an invitation I want to leave us with this week is if you notice yourself kind of being encountered, whether it's by the book of James or maybe a friend or a family member or someone at work or something, with something that feels uncomfortable or painful or you did something wrong, they said, or to use it as an opportunity to take a breath and kind of lean in a little bit inward and ask if God's spirit might be at work of helping to form you a little bit more in love and to reorient you to what matters. To live in that sort of a way together. Let us be the church and continue to live out a faith that shows up trusting the God of all things and of all of us. Amen.